Today's scripture will come from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep and now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you and thank you for this day that we are able to meet together and um, listen and learn about your word. God, I pray over the pastor as he preaches to us, God, that our minds can be open and focused to his words and that your spirit speaks through him. Bless us in this day as we go forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Aletheia Church. How are you guys doing today? Okay, good. There we go. Good, good. Uh, happy Sunday. Happy uh, Lord's Day. It's a uh, a privilege to be here this morning worshiping with you guys. I'm just going to take um, you know, two or three minutes just to kind of let you guys know, because I know some of you guys know what happened to, to me and my family this past week, and so I know some of you guys are still wondering what's going on, so let me just give you a quick update. Um, Friday uh, morning, um, I was in my office working on things and got a text that said, Josiah's having seizures, EMT's on the way, and so I ran out of my office. Actually, I went in there this morning and my light was still on, so... Uh, apologize if you're green and want to save energy. Um, I was not participating in that this weekend, um, but um, he was in the hospital Friday and into Saturday, and he was released yesterday. And so for those of you guys that knew uh, what was going on, thank you for praying for us. Obviously, for those of you guys that have been around for a while, you know that this is something that we've been dealing with with Josiah since he was like two days old. And so we're hopeful that you know his medication has been adjusted, but just continue to pray for us. Primarily, please continue to pray for my wife, who every time this kind of happens, it's been 14 months since his last seizure. And so, you know, we've kind of gotten into a rhythm, and like every noise he makes didn't scare her, and now it, you know that kind of gets reset. And so, just continue to please pray for my wife Jackie and our family as we kind of uh, reset. He's here this morning, though, if you want to see him. So if you want to play with a crazy little four-year-old, he'll be running around here somewhere. He was here earlier. So um, anyway, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up up to uh, the book of 1 Peter. Uh, really, really excited to study the word uh, this morning together and continue to work through um, this letter uh, that we started uh, studying together back about the second week of January. And um, if you're kind of new to Aletheia or you haven't been able to make it every week or things are just kind of uh, getting different uh, f schedules and getting on schedule and, uh, with us and you've missed a few weeks, I'm going to kind of just give you a real recap of what we've seen from week to week as we've been studying uh, this letter together. And what we saw uh, that first Sunday that we opened up this letter is, is Peter addresses the, the churches of, of kind of this northern Turkey region of Galatia, uh, eastern Europe. He addresses this letter to them and he just kind of says, hey, I want you to know two things about being followers of Jesus and what that means for you in light of living as Roman citizens. And, and what he says to them is that they should embrace this idea of being aliens or sojourners is the, is the term that the ESV uses. And, and what we said is there's this idea that as the church, even in 2019 in the United States, that the church really needs to start embracing this idea around the fact that we're 
as Christians, just kind of peculiar. There are things about us that just should be different than the world around us. And we try really hard oftentimes in being the church to embrace the culture around us. And there is a danger that we embrace it so much that we don't look different or distinct from the culture around us. And what Peter is trying to get across to these churches as he's trying to encourage them in the midst of their suffering and in the midst of their persecution is, hey, embrace this. Embrace this idea of being different or peculiar because your citizenship no longer belongs as Roman citizens, but as citizens in the kingdom of God. And in embracing that citizenship, your hope no longer lies in the emperor or the glory of Rome or the expansion of the Roman Empire or duty to uh, being a Roman citizen or to your job, but your hope is now a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so his his initial kind of charge to the churches was, hey, embrace the resurrection of Jesus, and because Jesus has risen from the dead, live like it. Live, Live like Jesus is alive and reigning in heaven with God the Father. And because he is, you can embrace suffering and a little bit of persecution on this side of eternity because guess what? In the future, you're gonna be sitting underneath the greatest king that has ever existed. And his kingdom will know no end and there will be beauty and justice and no more pain, no more disease, no more sin because that's what we're looking forward to. And so he's trying to encourage them to step out and live as if Jesus has really changed their lives. And he says this to them, and we got into this in about week two, week three, that if we embrace those two things, if we embrace the fact that as the church, We're just a little bit different. One of the things I said that first week is we believe a guy was dead and rose from the dead three days later. There is nowhere in Western society that you can hold that belief and not look peculiar to the rest of the culture around you. I'm sorry. I, like, I know a lot of you guys, especially like we, we're young, we have a lot of college students come here and you, you guys want to fit in and be liked, but holding that belief is going to make you a little peculiar to the world around you. I always loved C.S. Lewis when he would sit down with Tolkien and Tolkien was kind of leading him through um, this almost like apologetics process of sharing the gospel and the good news with him. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis said is like, man, like this story is amazing. Just like on its face value, the story in the gospels is just an amazing story. And Tolkien said, that's the thing. It's the greatest epic ever written. The only thing that's even better about it is that it's true. And so here we have this great story that we get to embrace and enjoy and then Peter goes on to say that as God's people, the call on our lives is to pursue holiness. And he gave two charges to the church, right? To be prepared for action and to be sober-minded. And what he meant by that was that as a church, we should be encouraging one another to consistently reflect on God's goodness toward us and also to be consistently encouraging one another to realign our affections towards Jesus and what he's done for us, not what we see in our current circumstances. And as we continue to do that, as we reflect on his goodness and realign our affections and repent of sin and return to him and receive his grace and his mercy, which are new every day, we press forward into maturity. And we go from being baby Christians who have just trusted in Jesus with our salvation and we grow over time. And I shared those six distinctives on what it means to be growing in Christ, that we're fueling our affections in the word of God and that we would be witnessing to those around us and that we would be making disciples amongst other things. And we posted that on our, uh, our Facebook page if you wanna actually see those kind of six distinctives to, and, and the ways in which we encourage one another to grow in Christ. And then last week, Pastor Daniel did a great job of unpacking this early uh, idea that Peter is going to share with us on the mission of the church, right? And he said this, right, that the mission of the church, the reason Aletheia Church exists, the reason that every other church in Gainesville should exist, the reason that every church across the United States are globally exists is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. 
That is why the church exists, to make much of Jesus and to share with the world why he is worthy of our worship, right? And I loved this line that Daniel shared last week. He said that if our identity is rooted in Jesus and his work for us, it will create movement. And movement that proclaims the excellencies of Jesus Christ and good deeds that point unbelievers to the glory of God. So there we have it laid before us, right? Peter has been building up to this point where he said, hey, church, we're distinct. We're going to suffer. And in the midst of that, that's okay because we're not after our own good, but the glory of Jesus. And so this morning, we're gonna continue to see this idea of mission. And Peter is gonna focus on two key ideas that are crucial to our understanding as the church on what it means to be missional. And that's a buzzword within the church and has been for probably five to 10 years. But this idea of being a missional church or a missional community or a community of of Christians on mission. But the idea of what that means is different to everybody. But the scripture gives us two key ideas. If a church is on mission, they will be suffering and they will be submitting. Now, Peter is going to propose to these churches that in declaring the excellencies of Jesus, one of the primary means God uses to display his glory is through our suffering and our good submission to authority. Now, It got quiet in here really quick. I was getting a bunch of nods when I was reviewing, and then I start talking about submission and suffering, and everyone's like, really? Right, because here's the reality, right? We don't like that, right? Like, I know this is gonna be difficult for some of us to to stomach because it's difficult for me to stomach. I, I know that if I'm reading through the text and preparing a sermon, and I'm like, I don't like this God, that most of you are probably going to be the same way as me. You're going to look at the text and be like, I don't don't like this. So do me a favor. Don't tune me out, but let's listen to what the text says and let's allow the Spirit of God to wrestle with our rebellious hearts. And I'm going to pray for us right now before we look any further that God might be merciful to us, that he might draw us closer to him and that we might submit to his word and not our own ideas of what life is supposed to look like. Will you guys bow your heads and just pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to be here this morning uh, to pray uh, together, to worship together, to sing together. Uh, Lord, this is one of those passages um, that if we didn't go through books of the Bible verse by verse, line by line, I would skip because it's difficult and I don't like it. And I tend to avoid things when they're difficult and I don't like them. And yet, uh, one of the reasons why I'm so convinced that your word is good and true is it talks about things that I love to hear, like your grace and your mercy, but it also talks about things I don't want to hear, like my own rebellion and my need to submit to authority and suffer well. And so God, might you meet me and anyone else here this morning that's wrestling with Uh, a desire to be in control of their own lives, that we might submit to you and your word and that we might see your faithfulness and your grace in that and live lives on mission that declare the excellencies of Jesus. We love you, God, and we ask this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, so, so Melanie did a great job uh, reading through our passage this morning, but I wanna kind of make sure that we go through it so we really understand um, what... Peter is trying to say here. So if you look at verse 13, some of you guys will even have a Bible that gives you a a title to that section. And it says at the top in my Bible, submission to authority. And Peter says this, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So, So let's look a little bit 
more closely at this language, right? The first thing that Peter says there in the text that we're looking at this morning is he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So, so the first thing we see in this letter is, is Peter is giving a charge to the church to practice proper submission to authority. Now, I, I, like I just said a few minutes ago, when you start talking about submission, everybody is in agreement, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like submission. And let me, let me just propose to you that I think there are a couple reasons why, especially uh, here in the West and in America, that we think that way. Um, but there are a number of reasons why this idea of submission is difficult. First and foremost, right, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and then move into Genesis chapter 3, um, what is uh, Adam's problem? Rebellion to the authority of God. And, and the scripture kind of tells us consistently throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament that we are like our first father, Adam. And so by definition, if our first father, Adam, was rebellious and did not want to submit to the authority of God the Father, guess what we tend to want to do? Be rebellious and not want to submit to the authority of God the Father. And so every human being on this earth struggles on some level with this idea of submission to authority because we're like our first father, Adam. So there's not a single person in here who can look to someone else and be like, man, you struggle with authority, and they don't themselves, right? Uh, on some level, all of us struggle with this. Now, if you are an American in here, I would say that in our society and the way that our culture is set up and the way that if you went through the public school system or have spent cons a consistent amount of time in the U.S., that American culture in particular seems to kind of ramp up this idea of not submitting to authority, right? Th I mean, think about it. Our entire country is built off of a rebellion, right? We're like, we're not paying for that tea, right? Throwing that in the water. Right? You're not going to tax me without representation. Not doing it, right? And, and like one of my favorite commercials of all time is a Dodge Charger commercial. And I've never owned a Dodge Charger. But it's George Washington in a Dodge Charger charging at the British. And the end of the commercial, they say, in America, we got two things right, cars and freedom. Right? <laughs> and, and, and like, I watch that commercial, and it is so stupid. And I'm like, yeah, America. Right? Because it's ridiculous and yet there's something intrinsically in kind of this, this heartbeat of being an American of like, <laughs> yeah, my brother-in-law is British, right? My sister now lives in London. Where every time he's here, inevitably, I make fun of them. Like, <laughs> sucker, <laughs> welcome to our country, fool. This is where we got it right, right? And he, he sends, and he, you know, he just gives it right back to me. He sent me a message on July 4th this past year. Happy Independence Day, you ungrateful colonial, oh. right? I'm like, whatever, dude. Right? You guys are free. We perfected it. That's how it goes in the U.S., right? There's always, right? We haven't been under British control for like 250 some odd years almost, right? And I'm still arguing with my brother-in-law who is born British but is of Chinese and Malaysian descent, right? This is just this long-standing idea of that he's British, so I need to pick at him because we are a rebellious people and our country was built out of rebellion. Now, not only right, do we espouse and celebrate Independence Day and celebrate rebellion as Americans, but then on top of it, we strongly value our constitutional rights as Americans, right? And the moment that someone starts trampling on our constitutional rights, what do we do? We rebel, right? Specifically, right, we fight and rebel anytime we think that those are being violated, especially with freedom of speech, right? Don't take away my freedom of speech. I don't care if it's terrible and what I'm saying is horrible to, to people around me. I'm free to say it. Well, yeah, but, you know, just because you could say something doesn't mean you should say something, Right? But there's this idea of like anytime someone wants to violate or step upon our rights, we rebel against them. And, then, and lastly, I would say this, at least in my lifetime, so the last 33, 34 years of my life, anytime I've watched the news or when I went away to college or whatever, there seems to be in our culture a celebration of activism and rebellion. We, we just tend to celebrate that. We tend to be excited about it. And look, don't, don't, don't hear me saying like, Never rebel. I'm, I, that's not the point of this sermon this morning. But if you watch the news, they cover and celebrate rebellion to authority. Meaning, 
you and I have been programmed in many ways to reject and deny authority in our lives. Whether you realize it implicitly or not, we're just kind of programmed to not trust and not respect authority. Meaning, I mean, how many of you guys remember the Occupy Wall Street? Yeah, like six of you. The rest of you must not have been watching the news then. Okay, more hands went up there. Do you guys remember that? It was like all over the news, huge movements in cities all over the U.S. But then they would get, like the media would go and they would find whoever the leader was of that particular movement. They'd ask them, what are you guys fighting for? And did you ever notice they had no idea? (laughs) We just don't like things. Well, okay, that's, that's a start. Right, but what are you rebelling for? Like you should, you're not just rebelling against something, you're rebelling for something. And they were highly mobilized, they were loud, they had the media on their side, but they had no real goal. And to me, it just goes to show, we just love to protest and reject authority. We just love it. We think it, we think it empowers us. And so here you have, though, Peter saying to the church in the midst of their personal liberties and freedoms being under attack from Roman government, church, you are called to live in a humble and submissive way even to society so as to honor God. Now, he doesn't just say be subject to them, but he also adds every human institution after that. You guys need me to define that? What every human institution means? I mean, he mentions emperor there, and and here's why he mentions the emperor. One of two emperors is in power when Peter writes this letter. Either Emperor Claudius, who if you've ever studied history at all, is notoriously a horrible emperor. He was bloodthirsty, and according to much of history, ran through wives the way you and I run through food, and every one of those wives was completely in control of everything, and the senator and the different governors that he had put in charge notoriously were horrible people and could get him to do whatever they wanted. He was notorious as a terrible emperor. Now, if it wasn't Claudius, because we don't know the exact date of this letter, if it wasn't Claudius, the other emperor it would have been was a guy named Nero. This is the guy who set the entire city of Rome on fire and then blamed it on Christians. Right? Not what you would call um, leadership that is mentally balanced and um, well-suited for the job and task at hand. And here you have Peter, though, writing this letter to Christians who are being persecuted by one of these two emperors and saying, uh-uh, I don't care if it's them, I don't care if it's the governors they've put in place over you. You are called to submit to their authority because God has placed them as authority in your lives. And what this also includes, if every human institution is wrapped up in this, is parents, teachers, professors, bosses, church leadership, and yes, even the President of the United States, whether you like him or not. Hear a pin drop right now, right? We need to, as much as is possible for us, Honor these positions of authority because God has put them in charge. Now, let me, let me just pause for a minute because, again, all of a sudden, like, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to say, Kevin was saying that the, the United States should have never rebelled against England. Like, they should have never done it. That all rebellion is terrible. Now, listen. Okay. Like, how many of you guys have heard the idea of civil disobedience? Right, popularized by guys like Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then like you know our personal here in the United States, Martin Luther King Jr. Right, is kind of like our, our our go-to when we look at this type of thing. Um, here, here's what I would say, right, when when we're talking about civil disobedience to authority, um, there are times to disobey, and um, the the second thing I would say that is we rarely fall into that category. Rarely. Um, I'm going to read to you part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s Letters from a Birmingham Jail, okay? Just, to, just so you can see even his own opinion on this particular matter. He says this, One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. He would go on to say that 
he would submit to the government and to their laws in so much as they weren't unjust in violation of scripture and God's moral imperatives and commands about us. And this, in my personal opinion, especially if you see and understand the scripture this morning, is one of the reasons why Dr. King's legacy is so powerful and so profound in our country, because he did this biblically. Right? He rejected right, the evils of Jim Crow and racism in the United States as being unjust and immoral and against the imago day of what God has said to be true about men and women created in the image and likeness of God. And yet he did it with respect the way that Peter talks about here in 1 Peter chapter 2, which is why we celebrate him and we celebrate what he did. But here's the reality. Most of us in this room this morning are not Dr. King and therefore do not get to respond the way that he did. But if we do face injustice to the degree that Dr. King did, we can learn much from him by the way that we respond, which let me tell you something, guys, is not what we typically see on the news. It's, it's just not. Right? I, do you guys remember when that dude that started all that problem in Charlottesville came, what was it, like a year and a half ago here? Do you remember what I asked you guys to do? Not to go. You remember that? And, so, and some of you guys could not understand why I would tell you not to go counter-protest. You know how you stop nonsense like that? You love people well, you show them the good news of Jesus Christ, and you don't give them your attention. Amen. Right? Fools stop being fools if they have no one to be fools to. Right? And guess what this ends up saying later on in 2 Peter chapter 1? That by our actions, we silence the ignorant. That if we do what Peter asks us to do here, that God uses that to silence ignorance and foolishness. That we have a unique role as the church to declare the excellencies of Jesus. And one of the primary means by which we do that is by subjecting ourselves to every human institution. Now, now we can sit here and we can ask, why, why does God ask us to submit and suffer at times? Like, why does God choose that to, to be the means by which he's gonna display, display the glories and the excellencies of Christ? And, and I would just say, P Peter says here in these verses, he says in verse 13 that, that we submit and suffer for God's glory. He says in verse 15 that it's used to silence the ignorant, as I just said. He goes on to say in verse 16, and this is something that I think is really, really important to understand, that we are free to submit and subject ourselves. They might find that a little strange. I'm free to submit. Right? It seems contradictory, right? But what... What, Pete, what Peter's actually saying is the same idea that, that Paul tries to throw out in Philippians chapter 3. Let me read this to you. He says in verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 21, Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Or what, he, what he's saying there is, hey, as followers of Jesus, our citizenship ultimately lies somewhere else. And because of that, by submitting to human institutions, even unjust ones at times, we display that we fear God more than we honor men. That we trust what God is going to do ultimately more than we trust our current circumstances. And we do this, as he says right there, by honoring others, loving, loving the church, honoring government authorities, and loving God above all else. That's what he says in verse 17. See, a church that in, it, in unity honors authority silences the cries of ignorant people that wish it harm. That's Peter's promise to them. That by doing this, they would silence the ignorant and foolish that wish harm upon them. Guys, the church is used to persecution. I, the American church, probably not so much, but the church is used to persecution. Right? In the first century, the church was accused of being cannibals. 
That was the, that was the lie that was being spread about them so that people wouldn't turn to Christ. They're like, man, the Christians seem really great. Like, like Daniel shared last week that they were known as the bridge people because they would go underneath bridges and take these babies that no one wanted anymore and care for them and raise them. And the lie that was being spread about them to counteract that was that they were eating the babies. Now, you know, 18 years later, they would see otherwise, right? But in the beginning, they'd say, oh, yeah, they're under there because that's what they're eating. No, right? They're raising those children, right? They were persecuted by the government. Like I said, Nero would round up Christians consistently during, during his reign as emperor and just burn them at the stake, crucify them, crucify them upside down, whatever he wanted to do, right? The church is not um, immune and is not... Uh, foreign to the idea of suffering and being persecuted for the cause of Christ. Guys, I mean, even our church to some extent here in Gainesville has received a little bit of persecution. I, I wouldn't say to the extent that, that the church globally does, but I mean, like we get the odd review online every once in a while, right? Like there have been people that have come to our church and said that we hate people over the age of 40. Um, it's not true. I'm going to be 40 one day. We don't hate people over the age of 40. If you're over the age of 40 in here, we actually pray that you come and then stay because we need wisdom here because I love the 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds in here, but you guys are really immature. Like, I, I love you, but you are. And we just need some people with some, some life experience, right? And so we, we actually like end up like people come in here and they're a little bit older and I, like, I probably look like I'm groveling the place. <laughs> Please, I know this isn't designed just for you, but please stay anyway, right? Help us, help us train up and raise up and disciple the next generation. Right? But we've, had, we've had people that come to our church and stick around for a little while and then say that afterwards. Like, you just hate old people. I'm like, no, we don't. Uh, you know, we might not do things the way that you did them in the church 40 years ago, but we don't hate you, right? You know, actually, like, far different from that, right? I, I've been told that our church participates in hate speech, because we hold a biblical position of sexuality. Amen. Like, we participate in hate speech. And I was like, I don't really know what your definition of hate speech is, but I'm not aware that that is one. There are, there are men and women in our church that have walked through same-sex attraction and would tell you that our church does not do that. Right? But we do hold a biblical definition of, of sex and marriage. By the way, that includes things like pornography, adultery, and whatever else. Right? Everyone wants to run to the, the definition of, of gender identity and homosexuality, but the Bible does, defines it a lot more than just those two things. Those are just the things that the church gets yelled at in our current climate. Right? But I, I've been told we participate in hate speech, uh, not that I know of. Right? And if we did, I would repent of it, and hopefully the leadership of this church would remove me. If I did participate that, thank you, Derek just agreed he'd love to fire me. <laughs> He's just waiting. <laughs> and yet, our church, in the midst of, of hearing those things and being told those things, we've continued to help the homeless in this, in this city. Um, we've provided counseling and support to needy people over the, uh, over the five and a half, six years that we've been here. Um, we've paid rent for other pastors in town who are down and out on hard times. Um, we've covered people's car payments for them when they're car was going to be repossessed so they could get to work and get back on their feet. Um, we volunteered for various organizations around town. Uh, we continue to seek and serve whenever we're asked the city in various ways. Um, we've helped start churches up and down the East Coast and in Barranquilla, Colombia. Uh, because here's the deal, because we want to honor and bring glory to Jesus even when it is hard and even when we're not liked and loved and appreciated for what we're doing. And Peter expands on this idea of, hey, look, church, sometimes it's just difficult. Sometimes you're going to do exactly what God asks you to do, and it's going to stink. It's going to be hard. Right? If, you, if you look at verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges 
justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter's point is, is this. Try as best as you can to subject yourself even when your masters are unjust. You know, a lot of the first Christians were, were slaves. And, and I, like I've said in the past, that slavery worked a little bit differently in biblical times. It was a, 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 a seven-year agreement of servanthood, and then you could agree to extend that afterwards. But if you were a Roman slave, it didn't necessarily work that way. But biblically speaking, that was the, the idea here. And so you hear at all these new slaves coming to Christ, and Peter says, look, I, some of you guys have masters even that, that are unjust and wicked. And I'm going to call and ask you to suffer unjustly because God sees it as a gracious thing. And when we treat ourselves, right, and allow ourselves to be treated that way, and rather than face it with hostility, face it with love and mercy and grace and submission, favor is found with God and honor is brought to his name. I mean, and I love Peter, right, because he anticipates pushback on this. Like, I just know I'm reading this, and even there's a part of me that's like, no, you kick the British back across the, uh, the, the water, and take it up for yourself. Like, I read that, and like, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I read this passage, and I do not initially like what Peter is asking us to do. I do not like it. I hate everything about it. And yet, Peter anticipates this pushback, and he says, hey, look, here's how I can stand here and say before you that suffering unjustly is God-honoring. Here's how. Look at Jesus. Look at your Savior. Look at your King. He suffered unjustly on your behalf. Look, look at the two ways he explains it here. If you look at verse 21, right, he says this. Christ suffered as an example of trusting the Father's plan more than his circumstances or persecution. Right, he says this, right? Let me read verse 21 to you. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. Right? Remember when Jesus said that he was going to suffer and die once he got to Jerusalem? What was Peter's response to that? May it never be, right? You can't do that. You're going to be the Messiah. You're going to overthrow and insurrect and, and kick the Romans out of Israel and God's going to set up his kingdom and it's going to be great. And what is, what is Jesus' response to Peter? Yeah, get behind me, Satan, right? The line you always want to hear from Jesus, right? Being called Satan, right? He says, get behind me, Satan, for the Son of Man must suffer these things. Jesus willingly faced bitterness anger, persecution, and death on a cross because he trusts the Father's will for him. Guys, there is no one like Jesus. <laughs> like, just, like, think about that, right? Like, when Philippians 2 talks about Jesus, it says that he emptied himself of his prerogatives, reigning in heaven with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and took on the form of human flesh and then further submitted himself to death, death on a cross. Like, if anyone knows what suffering looks like unjustly, it's who? Jesus. And Peter says, here's how I know that you can suffer unjustly and that you could submit yourself to the authority of wicked men and women because Jesus did it and look what happened. God's people were redeemed and rescued. It's just how he chooses to do it. He chooses to suffer and submit to rescue. And he goes on to say that not only did, did Jesus do this and we can see his example but he also says this in verses 24 and 25, he did it because he loved us well. 
right? He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For you were straying like sheep, but have, excuse me, by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He bore our sins so that we might live. He submitted himself to suffering and pain and beatings and death on a cross so that we might be returned to our heavenly father. Jesus is our ultimate example that by suffering, there is salvation. That by suffering, we are saved. By his wounds, you have been healed. And through Jesus' unjust suffering, we are saved. God saved us through the suffering of Christ. And do you know that when he saved us, he awoke sinful men and women up by the unjust suffering of a king. He took ignorant, foolish, rebellious people and awoke them to the excellencies of God in Jesus Christ. Not by power, not by military might, not by speech, not by wisdom, not by intellectualism, by suffering and submission. Like I, I know it is, it is wise and good for us to learn how to defend our faith. I know it is wise and good for us to understand and grow in wisdom and stature and knowledge. But guys, the primary way in which God uses his church to declare his excellencies is through suffering well to the glory of God. Alethea Church, God wants to use us. I, I, I know for a fact that he does because his word says that he plans to use his church to declare his glorious gospel to the nations. That's his plan. That's the plan that God the Father decided in eternity past to use in our period and time on this earth, that the church would declare the excellencies of Jesus to the world around us. God can use our suffering and submission to bring back straying sinners to the Father. By showing a greater faith in God's justice than the world's justice around us, we cause others to rethink how God interacts with us. By showing a selfless love and service to those who do not deserve it, God is shown to be supreme in our lives. And when you suffer well and continue to sing the praises of your Father in heaven, no one can argue against that testimony. I don't, how, I don't care how bad your apologetics are, if you suffer well and then tell everyone around you that it was because of Jesus that you walked through that valley, there is no apologetic on earth that can counteract that argument. Amen. There's nothing. I shared with you guys the story a couple weeks ago of my pastor who lost his five-week-old son. And he walked up there in front of the church and talked about how Jesus was enough in the midst of his suffering. What apologetic is there against that testimony? None. There is nothing that can stand against that. When I, I think about this, guys. Remember a couple years ago when Dylan Roof walked into a church in Charleston, South Carolina and killed some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who were worshiping and praying. They invited him in and he murdered them in cold blood. Do you remember what happened after that was done and they arrested him? They took him to court and some of the survivors and the family members of survivors walked into that court. And you know what they did? They forgave him. 
And I remember journalists just reporting that, and you could see on their face just like disbelief in what they were watching, right? I'm going to share with you some of the quotes from that. Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, said this at the hearing with her voice breaking with emotion. I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never hold her again. But I forgive you and I have mercy on your soul. Depain Middleton Doctor looked at him and said, I acknowledge that I am very angry. But one thing that Depain always enjoyed and told our family is that she taught me that we are a family that love built. And that was the love of God. And we have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. And so I pray God mercy on your soul. Could you imagine looking the murderer of a close family member in the eye and telling them that? And yet they did because of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. As I, could, as I read this, all I could think was, man, these men and women have something profound driving them, and that is a deep, abiding trust in Jesus. Aletheia, when was the last time somebody looked at one of us and was amazed at how joyfully we suffered? When was the last time someone looked at you and looked at the midst of whatever difficult season that you might be walking through and looked at you and were amazed at how joyful you were in the midst of that suffering? I remember back when Josiah was in kind of the, the lowest point that he was medically, and we practically lived at Shands, an old friend of mine reached out to me. And I mean, he just said, like, hey, Kevin, how, how, like, how are you guys doing? And I'm like, dude, I don't even know how to answer that question right now. Like, I, like all I want to do is sleep. And some days I don't want to wake up. Like, if, I, if I'm just being honest, like some days I just don't want to wake up. It's hard. It's terrible. And then I said to him, I was like, how are you doing? Like, how, how's your family? He started telling me about how they were trying to potty train their kid and how difficult it was. And he stopped himself midway through telling me that story. And he's like, dude, why am I telling you about how hard our life is when your kid's in the hospital right now? And I, I had this moment of clarity as I was sitting there. And like, I don't want to take responsibility for this because, like, honestly, there were times during that, that season where you would look at me and be like, does that guy even know who Jesus is? But by God's grace, like during that conversation, I said, I was like, dude, let me just tell you something. Like, you're, like my suffering doesn't diminish your own suffering. Like, 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 my, like our family's suffering this season doesn't diminish the fact that you guys might be walking through something that's difficult for you guys right now too. Can we just pray together? Can we just, can we just pray that God would be merciful to both of us and that, and that, and that we might honor him in this season that you would love your kids well and that I would love my wife well and love our family well and that I would that I would love our church well in this season and, that, and that, you would, that you would love those around you well and that God might move. And, and I remember after we, we prayed, like I was talking to him over the phone hearing him just like cry on the other end and like, not just to tell you, like this guy's not a guy who cries very often so I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, what have I done? And he's like, dude, man, like I guess this is what it means to have a testimony that you trust God bigger than your circumstances. I was like, dude, maybe this second I do. <laughs> but I'm, I'm begging God to move constantly. Amen. I'm begging him. And when I fail, his mercy's there for me. When, when, I, when I'm not thinking clearly, and I'm looking at the, the guy with a healthy family who committed adultery on his wife, and I'm thinking, why isn't his kid the one that's suffering, or why isn't he suffering? Because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Why, why, am I, why am I the one that's walking through this? 
And God's there to say, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus died, and by his wounds, you have been healed. If anyone can relate, it's Jesus. And we can have hope because he is a living the gra- sin could not hold him. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. Church, we aren't trying to change people. We instead want to point them to the real hope, the resurrected Jesus Christ. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up stage now. And, I'm, and, and during our time of reflection and response, here's what I would just ask you to do this morning. First, that you would ask God to grow you to have a deeper and more abiding trust in the suffering and then resurrection of Jesus Christ over that suffering. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, might you pray that God would strengthen us as a church to suffer well so that we might declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ our living hope. Will you pray that with me? Will you take communion and ask God to grant us through the power of his Holy Spirit the ability to do that well to the glory of God? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the great physician. That you are merciful and gracious towards us. And that you chose suffering and submission to save wretched sinners like me. Father, forgive us of our sin. God, we repent of selfishness and rebellion. Father, we confess that we are like our first father, Adam, rebellious and stiff-necked, rejecting authority and desiring to place ourselves on the throne of our lives and everyone else's. Forgive us. Holy Spirit, grant us repentance. so that we might submit to your will for us, which is to suffer well to your glory, ultimately knowing that our hope rests in a living and resurrected king who is ruling and reigning, and one day he will return and set all things right again. And until that time, might our testimony be, testimony be one that only declares the glories and excellencies of Jesus Christ as you are. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace. And I ask this all in your name.